Please be seated. Good morning, friends. Um, it was uh, certainly a delight to be here. We've been here for the deanery tr- retreat. My wife, Angela Kay, who's seated over there, and my son, Kieran, is in the room. And we've had a great time with this deanery retreat, and also then just an honor to be with you all here on Sunday. Um, as Aubrey mentioned, my name's Alan. You may wonder, what do you call a bishop? You can say, Alan. You can say, hey, you. Um, you can even call me what Shea Spears calls me, which is B-Hawk, Bishop Hawkins. So uh, whatever works for you is great. I certainly, as Aubrey mentioned, have a great affection for this church and all that God's doing here. It's amazing to see how he continues to bless Church of, of the Incarnation, which then is a blessing to other places. Um, so I'm also uh, really excited about this sermon series during the Lenten season, receiving the gift of time, receiving the gift of a lifetime, um, the ordering of our days and our months and our years. And I did listen to last week's sermon, so um, I'm certainly uh, excited to, to bring this um, message to you regarding receiving the gift of time. Of a lifetime, I started following Jesus my freshman year in college. I grew up sort of a very brief, uh, minimally churched kid. Kind of went to church every once in a while. There's a God. There's a Jesus. Be nice to others. That sort of worldview. And my freshman year met the Lord Jesus Christ personally, and just grabbed hold of the offer of eternal life found in Jesus. I was immediately put into a Bible study, sort of a Bible study for dummies, because I didn't know a lot and uh, enjoyed that, just the basics of the Christian faith. And that was my spring semester, my freshman year at Oklahoma State. Go Cowboys. Uh, There's one former cowboy in the room. And um, at the end of the Bible study, the leader had us go into this um, boardroom in the student union, kind of out of the way. You wouldn't have known what it was about if the door was closed. And there's about four or five of us in there, and he's, he's teaching the final lesson before we all go for our summer breaks. And he, he says something to us. He says, boys, I'm going to draw something on a chalkboard. How many of you remember what a chalkboard is? Yeah, three of you. Um, and he draws this line on a chalkboard, and I was a... Um, chemistry major, so I knew that a lot of math, that's an eternal line when you put the arrows on the end. And he said, so some of you might live to be 60, 70, or 80 years in this lifetime. What would that amount be on this eternal line? And, you know, there was always the teacher's pet, the smart kid in the room. They're like, it would be a dot, like a smidge on that line. He said, you have answered well. And then he did the most dramatic evangelical mic drop of my life that I've ever seen. He turns and he, and he looks at us with this intensity and this love and he says, guys, do you want to live for that dot or do you want to live for the line? And then he dropped the chalk <laughs> into the metal chalk container And it didn't bounce out, which would have ruined the moment. It just stayed there. It was like this most amazing thing. And then he walked out of the room, shuts the door, and we're left staggered with this reality. Do I want to live for the 60, 70 years, or do I want to live for eternity? 
Now, back then, I thought I had to choose. I want to make the case for you today. It's not a choice we have to make. God has given us our lifetime. But the most amazing offer he has given, in addition to these 60, 70, or if it's shorter or longer than that, years, is he has offered us an eternal life. So if you'd pray with me as we start. Thank you, Lord, for this chance to hear your word, to worship you, and as we said in the psalm, to number our days, to pause and consider what it means to be present to you, to number our days in this lifetime, so that we may have a heart of wisdom. Pray that you would bless our time in your word, and Holy Spirit, that you would come, fill our hearts, and be our teacher. And this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So let me state some starting points or a framework from the passages that we heard read um, that I think will help guide this question, how do we receive the gift of a lifetime? And of course, we heard read from Ecclesiastes, a very powerful um, section, to make the most of life with joy, to eat your bread, drink your wine, and live a life of gratitude and joy, for God has given you this life. Your life is a gift from God. Regardless of the circumstances, your life is a gift that God has made you and created you and called you into the opportunity to know him. The second one is Psalm 90, that you live your life and see your life with purpose, God's purposes. As the psalmist said, and I prayed, to teach us to consider our days, to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. And of course, one of my favorites, Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is to gain. That is so contrary to the way our life works. We think with great fear the end of our life. And Paul reverses that and says, in Christ, you shouldn't fear the end of this lifetime because to die is to gain Christ fully. Imagine how we would live differently if we actually believe that. And then lastly, um, Jesus is teaching in John chapter 12, after he has raised to life Lazarus, he has this amazing teaching about those who want to gain their life must lose it. And those who try to hold on to their life um, cannot keep it. And he tells this uh, metaphor of a kernel of wheat falling to the ground gives life to other things that the blessing of God's life is to live generously and sacrificially, to give our lives away for his kingdom and his purposes. And in giving our lives away and sacrificing and losing our life, we gain. So this morning, how do I live for the dot and the line? How do I receive or we receive the gift of our lifetimes? So of course it's a sermon, so how many points are there? Three. Um, the first one, the unbelievably extravagant offer of Jesus of abundance for our life. That's the first point. The unbelievable, extravagant offer of Jesus of abundance for our life. Secondly, it's all Greek to me. Hang with me on that. It's all Greek. 
How do I understand the difference of chronos or kairos? These two Greek words, they show up in the Bible for time. And then third, because I'm from Oklahoma, the third point is living on Tulsa time. Just stay with me, okay? So first, a brief discussion of the unbelievable, extravagant offer of abundance. Probably the most significant preacher, philosopher, and theologian from North America, the former president of Princeton University, was a man named Jonathan Edwards. In his book, The End, for which God created the world, he speculates and he thinks about and ponders this great question. If eternity is this line that lasts forever and has always been forever, eternity is this line, and there's this fixed point where we see, and God made the heavens and, and the earth, the gift of time that Aubrey mentioned last week. If that is somewhere on this eternal line, some point, some dot, what was God doing before that existed? Think about that for just a second. What was God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit doing for eternity past. Now, Edwards um, does some really great holy speculation, and he basically says, I don't know. <laughs> but God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, had to be immensely satisfied within himself for eternity past. He had to be satisfied where the Father and the Son had to delight in one another for eternity past. You know, after three days, sometimes company smells like fish. So we have a hard time delighting in others, sometimes for a day or two weeks or whatever. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has delighted for eternity past. And the extravagant offer of abundance is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit makes to us an invitation. Come be a part of that satisfaction. This morning, whether you are a longtime Christian or you're considering this or you're thinking, is this stuff real? Do I believe that? Um, that's an unfolding question, takes a lot of time and prayer and discernment with one another. But I want to say to you this morning, the offer of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to come and be satisfied in Him. Everything that you are looking for in life is found in this Trinity. You long for truth, it's there. You long for goodness, for justice, for beauty, for peace, for love. It's there. The unbelievable and extravagant offer of this triune community is announced through the Son. Listen to Jesus. John chapter 4, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. This is the extravagant and abundant offer of Jesus. Drink this water, you'll never thirst. 
John chapter 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus also uses this offer in the form of bread, he says, after feeding thousands of people, what we would consider miraculously, what the scriptures testify, Jesus says and declares, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you know, after a few hours, I'm thirsty and I'm hungry in this life. But Jesus says, if you drink of the water he offers, this invitation, if you eat of the bread that he gives, you will never go thirsty, you will never grow hungry. The Greek word used to describe the eating of this bread says it's a singular event. It's a one-time event, but it also occurs over our lifetime, even as we feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Jesus says, I've come in John chapter 10, I've come that you and I, who hear his words and believe in him, may have life. And he says, and it's abundant life. It's qualitatively abundant. It's rich and full to know God to know his love, to be found in him, rich and full. But it's also uh, quantitative. It's eternal life. It's not for just 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Again, whatever you live, it is for everlasting life. It's quantitative and qualitative. You know, Angela Kay and I have been married 30 years. We've lived in six different cities. We've lived in 12 13 different houses. And it doesn't matter, but when I drive home to Perry, Oklahoma, and I drive my car up into the driveway of my childhood home, I feel like I'm home. But I'm not home, because my home's in Greensboro. But I'm home. To receive this gift this abundant and extravagant, this qualitatively full and quantitatively infinite offer is to come home. The author, Pat Conroy, South Carolina boy, once wrote, I could not quiet that pearly ache in my soul that I diagnosed as a cry to come home. This is the offer this quantity, abundant, everlasting, and eternal. Rich and full, freely given. This brings me to my second point. It's all Greek to me. All of us, rich or poor, young or old, have 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, 52 weeks in a year. We fortunately get one extra day. Every four years, that's next week, congratulations, leap year. All of us have the same amount of time, but all of us experience and understand time and live in time differently. As the great North American theologian Steve Miller once said, time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. You guys are with me, right? 
Or if you like Prince, he once said, eternal life, it's a mighty long time. Or Cindy Lauper, time after time. Or someone came to me after the morning service and said, you forgot in your list to mention Pink Floyd and time. Okay, there it is. Or if you're under the age of 25, Harry Styles, the sign of the times, right? My favorite all-time favorite song is by Queen, which is titled, Who Wants to Live Forever? Now, I do hope one of these songs is stuck in your head this morning as you leave. Why it's all Greek to me. The Greek god of time was Kronos. You know, a watch was in former times called a chronograph. In ancient Greek mythology, Kronos was one of the children of the original god Uranus and the original goddess Gaia. You hear her name a lot now recently in our culture. Kronos envied Uranus and sought to overthrow him. And the resulting power was that Kronos became the god of time, father time. And Kronos' time was sequential, measured, and Kronos was cruel with time, as time can be in life. His Latin name is Saturn, which is the word of saturating with time, and we honor Saturn every Saturday of our week. Watches measure time, calendars chart it. But the most likely number of years someone lives in this country is 70 plus years of time. Kronos makes us live with this concept of YOLO, you only live once, which is not true, but it is true. Or bucket list, before my time is up, I've got to dot, 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 go to that place or have that experience. Trinity time, on the other hand, is kairos time. It's seasons. It's the fulfillment of God-filled experiences and occasions. Kairos time is cruel. Um, Kronos time is cruel. Kairos time is freeing. It's the time of unfolding of what God has appointed. Our lives are appointed by kairos time even though they are subject to Kronos. It's like a body waiting for three days to be resurrected for the fulfillment of God's plans and purposes in redemption, the resurrection of Jesus. What was happening in those three days? Kairos time. Not just the literal three days time. Kronos time rules and Kairos time frees. Kairos time is like an artist doing art and lost in the presence of the moment, or like children at play, or as you know the old adage goes, time flies as you're having fun. There's one of you who answered that. Great. Um, Even the great theologians say our time in worship is kairos time, even if it lasts 75 minutes. Our Sabbath is the eighth day of the week, When there's only seven days, that's kairos time. When Jesus says, my time has not yet come or my hour is not at hand, he's using that word kairos, not kronos. My friends in Rwanda used to say this, you Americans, you have the watches, but we Rwandans, we have the time. 
How profound that is. You, um, in other words, they're saying this. You Americans, you are ruled by Kronos. Bless your little pea-picking hearts. We live on Kairos time. Springs of you know I'm at third point. Living on Tulsa time. As I mentioned, I'm from Oklahoma. It's a famous song by a country artist, Don Williams. Anyone ever heard Living on Tulsa? Great. Five of you. Yes, I'm relevant today. Um, Don Williams was on his way to California. He was going to be a big recording artist, and he was living this fast-paced, frenetic, crazy life. And his, I think his bus broke down. He's stuck at a hotel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. What could be worse, right? And he writes this song um, in this great experience of being under the helpless tyranny of Kronos. And he's stuck and can't go anywhere and get to where he wants to go. And he had to spend the weekend with friends, being present to them. It's a simple song, but it's a reminder of Kairos time versus Kronos time. It's a reminder of abundance of presence versus the tyranny of living under Kronos. I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 17 in your phones or Bibles, whatever you like to use and can use. And let's start at verse 26. This is the Apostle Paul. Last fall in in October, Angela Kay and I were able to spend 10 days in Greece. It was life-changing. And we stood on the very place where Paul gave this sermon in the Areopagus, the the think tank of all the great philosophers, the, the Harvard or the Princeton or Yale or Stanford or whatever of not the Oklahoma States, but the, the center of thinking and philosophy in the known modern world, Paul made a presentation there, a sermon. Starting in verse 26, he says, to a bunch of people who understood and believed and knew Kronos, Paul says, From one man, God, the invisible God, made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out, that's time, their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God gave them time. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. Verse 28, for in him, in God, we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, his children. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day, time, when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. In other words, there's a lot more power-packed theology and philosophy in this 
um, sermon Paul gives, but he is saying this, God controls our time. It's in his hands. Your days are numbered, but the real gift of our lifetime or our days is not the number of them, the literal number, but his providence in them, his presence with us through them, his offer to us to love him and to seek him and to be found by him. The real gift of our time is his loving offer to us into eternity through the Trinity. My friends, have you ever felt like Kronos time is overshadowing your Kairos time? Recently, we took a trip as a family to the mountains to a place where cell phones don't work and out from the tyranny of Kronos. But in this great Kairos time, which I loved to be just with my family, my kids and Angela Kay, this amazing time, this Kairos time of being present to each other, being present to God, there's still a clock on the wall reminding me we have to go on Monday, pack up our bags, and return to the limitations of Kronos. Let me close with this. What would you have to put off, put away, give up, reorient, repent, realign in your life to live in Kairos time with God? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord bless you. Let's stand.